you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them to the book of 1 Thessalonians and chapter number 4 in 1 Thessalonians. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under the chair in front of you. If you grab that, uh, turn to page 160 in the back portion of that, you would be at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Now, as we begin this morning, I want to begin with a little bit of a word association. You know how word association works is that someone would say a word or a term and then you respond back with whatever comes to your mind when you hear that term. So I want to do that. So that means you're going to have to speak loudly in order for me to hear what you might say back. Um, Here's the first word. What comes to your mind when I say the term ice cream? What comes to your mind? Brahms? What else? I'm sorry? Chocolate. I heard that one. I'll tell you, I can identify with those word associations because when I hear the word ice cream, what comes to my mind is Brahms brand chocolate toffee ice cream. That is as close to being illegal as any ice cream can be. It's so good. Okay, here's another word for word association. Happiness. What comes to your mind? Ice cream. There you go. A man after my own heart. I like that. All right, let me give you a third term for word association. Here's the word. Christian. What comes to your mind? What comes to your mind when you hear that word Christian? What's the first association you have? I'm sorry, saved, I think I heard someone say? Christ. Was another one? I'm sorry? Holy, okay. Now, let's just think about this. What if we went into the everyday life world that we operate in and we did that with them and we said, I want, here's a little word association. I want to say this word and I want to hear what your response would be. If we said Christian, I wonder if any of them would say back as a word association, they love one another. You know, um, Jesus said something very interesting to the disciples. And and what I want you to do for a moment is I want you to imagine this is the first time you ever heard Jesus say this. But Jesus says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if, now just pretend you'd never heard that before. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if, and I think we'd all be leaning forward to hear what he had to say. And what he said was, if you have love for one another. You know, when you go back in church history, you know that apparently the Christians had that word association down because Tertullian, who was one of the church fathers who lived about 192 AD, said this, observing the response of the world to the believing community. He said, the heathen often exclaimed in wonder, see how they love one another. And as I was working my way through this, I began to think, well, does the pagan world today, as they see us, have the same response? Do those who know me, when they think of Bruce, they think of loving one another, loving other believers, how about you? You know, what's what's interesting is, is this is truly part of our calling By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, we are studying the book of 1 Thessalonians together. 
And we have said that the theme of the book is keeping spiritually straight in a crooked world. And we have come in our study to chapter number 4. And in verse 1 of chapter number 4, he writes these believers and he says, I want to tell you how we need to and how we ought to walk and please God. The whole idea of walking is just how we live out our life. Here's how we need to be living out our life and pleasing God. Now, let me just ask the question. Anybody interested in living your life in a way that pleases God? I hope all of us would have our hands up. Well, how do we do that? Well, priority number one for those who want to walk and please God, he teaches us, is sexual purity. And we looked at that last time we were together in 1 Thessalonians in verses 2 to 8. But we get a second priority for going to walk and please God. And priority number two, which we see in verses 9 and 10, is that we are excelling in love. I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. I invite you to follow along in your Bible as I read what God has to say to us today. Paul writes, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. The title I've given to this morning's message is Excelling in Love. And the plan that we have for today is to look at three things. First of all, we're going to look at the primary trademark that God says we are to have stamped on our life. And then we're going to look at the motivational catalyzer, what moves us towards that trademark. And then the third thing we want to look at is the practical challenge that God would have for us. So we want to talk about excelling in love, the primary trademark, the motivational catalyzer, and then the practical challenge. So let's begin by looking at this primary trademark that we are to have. Now, I want you to keep your finger in 1 Thessalonians 4 and turn with me to John chapter 13. And we're going to be moving around in the Bible today, so you need to have your fingers limbered up and ready to go. But John chapter 13 is where Jesus is actually sharing with the disciples this statement that that we alluded to earlier. And I want you to notice verse 34. He says to them, A new commandment I give to you. Well, what is it, Jesus? That you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. It's like, are, we, are you getting the message? We are to love one another. And then he says in verse 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So three times you have it stated there. We are to be involved in loving one another. You can just jot down these references, but in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, Paul says to the believers there, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. It is to be the trademark that we are to have. In Ephesians 5, 2, he says to the believers there, walk in love, live out your life in love. And he says, when you do that love for one another, it is an offering, it is a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And then we have here, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. As to the love of the brethren, this primary trademark that we are to have, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. 
In that verse, there are two of the original language terms for love. He says there in verse 9, As to the love of the brethren, that's the first term, which is the term Philadelphia. That's the city of brotherly love. It's, just, it's the word from the original. And, and Philadelphia refers to family friendship. It refers to caring relationships. Philadelphia is affection-focused. But there's another word for love that is used here in verse 9. As to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And there we have a verbal form of the word agape, different word for love. And agape love is actions-focused. Philadelphia is affection-focused. Agape is actions-focused. It's manifested in what we say and do. So as we're looking at this primary trademark, we're just trying to put it all together. Let me just sort of blend those two ideas. Our primary trademark is that we should have family-like caring expressed in actions. There ought to be between us as believers in Jesus Christ, family-like caring expressed in actions. That ought to be true in our homes, in our marriages. That ought to be true before the community and and even before the world. That's the primary trademark that he wants to see on our lives collectively. Family-like caring expressed in actions. Now, the, the second part of what we want to look at that's so important is to understand the motivational catalyzer behind that. What just moves us in that direction? And he mentions there in verse 9, he says, You are taught by God to love one another. See, what motivates us, what catalyzes us, is the way that God loves us. And because of the way that He loves us, we in turn turn around and love one another in the same manner. Now, I really believe that we need to be reminded of this. I need to be reminded of this all of the time because, you see, my natural tendency is to respond to people the way they respond to me. That's not the way it's supposed to work. We're to respond to people the way God responds to us. So we need to be reminded. And uh, you can just jot down these references, but John 13, 34, where we just were, he says, love one another. I just want you to notice the phraseology here. Love one another as I loved you. John 15, 12. Love one another just as I loved you. And again, in Ephesians 5, 2, where it talks about walking in love, it says, walk in love just as Christ loved you. He is the catalyzer behind all of this. Turn with me uh, deeper into the New Testament, to the book of 1 John, chapter number 4. We need to be reminded of this. We need to be reminded. 1 John, chapter 4. Verse 9, it says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten, His unique Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. You want to know what love is? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the total legal satisfaction 
for our sins. And then here comes the tie-up. Beloved, if God so loved us, if He loved us like that, we also ought to love one another. The way that Christ loves me is the way that I am to love you. What are some of the marks of Christ's love for us? Let's just stop for a moment and say that. What are some of the marks of Christ's love for us? How does He love us? Tell me. What are some of the ways? His love is unconditional. I heard that. His love is sacrificial. Yeah, that's the idea. It's not the way I normally automatically operate that my love would be unconditional and sacrificial. His love for us is permanent. It's very faithful. Mine is not always that way. But you see, it's as we look at the way He loved us, that is what catalyzes us to want to love one another. And what I really believe is that periodically we need to refresh our love quotient. We need to do that. And that's why the Word of God is there. To renew our minds and to renew our hearts. Every once in a while we just need to look again. Rather than just sort of operating in our natural response, we need to look at verse 11 of chapter 4 of 1 John. It says, if God so loved us, if His love was unconditional and it's sacrificial and it's very permanent, so also we ought to love one another. So important that we understand that. Everything pivots off of that. That's the motivational catalyzer for us to love one another. Now, at at this point, to some degree, when it talks about, well, what does this look like in my life? Maybe we've been a little bit abstract, and what I want to do is get a little more concrete. And that brings us to the third thing we want to look at, which is the practical challenge that is there for us. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And he lays out the practical challenge, I think, fairly clearly in verse 10. He says, as we are called to love one another, he says in verse 10, For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But here it comes. We urge you, brethren, to excel still more. And that's the practical challenge that God has given to all of us. And we're going to be at different levels when it comes to effectively loving one another. But the challenge is the same, and I would word it this way. The challenge that He has given to you and to me today is to step it up. To step it up. To take it to the next level. We are to take it to the next level when it comes to loving one another in a family, friendship environment of caring relationships. Step it up is the message that He has for us. And again, it's like, well, how exactly do we do that? Well, I want to I share a couple of tips that help us to step it up a little bit. First tip is this. Loving one another is active, not passive. It's active, not passive. It's interesting to me how many people can attend a church week after week after week after week after week and never connect in relationships. You see, men and women... The Christian life was not designed to be that way. What is the primary trademark that we are to have? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples 
if you have love for one another. And um, every once in a while I get involved in a conversation with someone who says, well, I've been, I've been attending, you know, I've been coming for nine months. Are you, you know, are, are you connected with some people? And they'll say, well, you know what happens is I come week after week and few people talk to me and uh, no one really befriends me and no one ever invites me over. Let me ask you a question. How many people, how many people here this morning, let me just see true, true raising, how many people here live in a neighborhood? Let me see. Let me see hands, okay? All right, for those of you who didn't, how many people have ever lived in a neighborhood, even if you're not in one right now? I think we all understand what goes on in a neighborhood, right? Now, here's what I have learned over the years in a neighborhood. In a neighborhood, generally neighbors fall into two categories, two types. One category or type would be those who readily contact their neighbors. Uh, They're friendly, they greet their neighbors. The other type and group are people who just stay in their own house. And I've always wondered, what are they thinking in there? I think some of us are thinking, I don't want to meet anybody, I want to be here by myself. But I have to believe that some of them are thinking things like this. I wonder why no one ever really comes over. I wonder why none of my neighbors ever really introduce themselves to me. I wonder why, you know, there's somebody who, who, who why isn't there somebody who brings a, some fresh cookies over who's a neighbor? Have you ever noticed that uh, one friendly family in a neighborhood can affect the whole neighborhood? Ever notice that? Boy, it's so true. It's so true. And the same thing, I think, happens in the church. There are two approaches that people have. They can come to church and sit and wait and wonder why no one builds a friendship with me. Or they come and they are actively reaching out to build friendships in the church. Well, which one do you think we're really called to do? I believe it's the second one. Turn with me uh, to the book of 1 Peter, chapter number 1. A little to the right. Hiding behind the book of Hebrews and the book of James is the book of 1 Peter. And I want you to see a very interesting verse in chapter 1 and verse 22. It's on this whole subject matter. And he says in verse 22, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, that's the primary trademark that we are to have. And then he says this, fervently love one another from the heart. I think the NIV says deeply love one another from the heart. And that term that is translated here, fervently or deeply, is a very interesting one in the original language. It's just the basic word for out and the word for stretch, and it's put together. See what he's saying here is he's saying... As you have in obedience to truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, what I want you to do is I want you to stretch out in loving one another. Stretch yourselves out. It's not a retreat mode. It's a reach out mode that we are called to in the body of Christ. And so the first tip I just want us to understand when we talk about loving one another, loving one another is active, not passive. Love initiates and that's what we're called to do but there's a second tip i want us to look at and that is that love is action focused action focused in order for us to look at that we need to go 
to the chapter of love in the New Testament, which is 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. And in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to the first part of verse 8, we have love unpacked for us by God. And love is action-focused. We know that because when you look at this section, it's all verbs. It's all verbs. It's not love as a feeling or whatever. It's all verbs. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. does not take into account a wrong suffered. does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. Love is action-focused. Now here's what I I want us to understand. This kind of love that is action-focused is a universal language. See, even those who cannot see and those who cannot speak and those who cannot hear can recognize and appreciate this kind of love that is action-focused. Now, we could spend a number of weeks unpacking all of these elements of love from 1 Corinthians 13. We don't have time for that. But what I want to do today is I want to unpack three of them just to give us a practical handle on what this would look like in our life. The first one I want to unpack just a little bit is from verse 4 where it says, Love is kind. Love is kind. And you don't need to turn there with me if you don't want to, but I want to go to the book of Nehemiah and uh, chapter 9, verse 17, and I I can read it to you if you don't want to work your way there. But here's what it says there, and this is really, really interesting to me. Nehemiah is talking of God, and he says, You, God, are a God of forgiveness. You're gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. And then there's this little phrase, abounding in loving kindness. You see, we are to understand that love being expressed to one another is kind, but we need to go back to the fact that we learn that from God, right? He is kind. And you can just jot down the references, Titus 3, 4. He talks there about the kindness of our God and Savior. And then in Romans 2, 5, he he almost leans forward to talk to those believers and he says to them, do you think lightly, lightly of the riches of his kindness? You see, God is kind to us and thus we are also to be kind to one another. Now, if I were going to just summarize what I think it means to be kind, it would be this. Someone who is kind initiates to meet needs. It's what God did with us. He initiated to meet our need. And that's what it means to be kind. I heard of the story of a, of a traveler who was traveling, and uh, as he was traveling, he was surprised by some thugs who beat him up pretty good and uh, took all of his cash and credit cards and left them to die right there on the street where they beat him up. And what was interesting is, is that Two individuals back-to-back came by, both of them uh, regular church attenders, and they they could have helped this guy down in the gutter there, but they sort of looked 
around and decided they weren't going to get involved. They went to the other side of the street. And then finally a third guy came along, an unchurched guy, and uh, he, he went right to the guy's side and sort of just helped, you know, clean him up a little bit and then um, took him and put him in his car and then drove him to a hotel, this uh, Holiday Inn Express that he normally went to. And while he was there, he checked the guy in and said, I want to prepay for his stay. And um, then the, 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 uh, later on that day, he took two $100 bills down to the clerk and said, I, I want to pay for, for all of his needs. And, and here's some money if he needs to go across the street and, and get some things at the, the drugstore across the street. It's there. And if it exceeds, if his bill ever exceeds everything I'm giving you right now, uh, I'll pay the difference when I'm back in town. You, you know me. And, and when I'm back, I'll, I'll cover it. Now, if you think that story sounds slightly familiar, it, it is a story that, uh, that Jesus told in, in Luke chapter 10. And what is really interesting to me is he tells that story, and then he says to the disciples that are listening to the story, he says, which one of those three people do you think was kind? Which one do you think initiated to meet the needs? And of course, the obvious answer was the, the third one. And then Jesus said this, go and do likewise. You know what Jesus was really saying, I think, if I could put it in these terms? He was saying, what I want you to do is I want you to go out and mug people with kindness. Mug them with kindness. And you know what happens when someone mugs you with kindness? You really experience God with skin on. Love is kind. That means it initiates to meet needs. And, and of course, it could be a need like a serious situation where someone is beat up. It can, be, it can be simpler things. I remember a number of years ago, we had drawn the assignment to do Family Life Marriage Conference in Anchorage, Alaska, and it was going to be over the spring break time. And, and so the whole idea was is that uh, we would maybe take a couple of days to go skiing. Jennifer was going to go with us. She'd actually never had the opportunity to be skiing. And I know it's a shock for you because most of you just think I'm like a superstar athlete, right? That's what you're all thinking. But the reality is uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Now, I had been skiing before, but I hadn't really been skiing very much. One thing was true. I didn't have any ski gear. And, and I'll never forget Neil Boyd called me up and he said, you know, I know you're going to go out there and you're going to do a little bit of skiing. He said, why don't you come over and uh, any ski gear, you know, from goggles on down um, that you need to borrow, you can. You don't have to go spend a bunch of money for that. And I just, I remember going over to Neil's house and he, he meant what he said. I mean, he opened up all of his ski gear to me and basically said, anything you need to take, you can take. You see, he was, he was being kind with me. He was initiating to meet a need. And that's what love does. Sometimes the kindness is just an expressing appreciation to people. We appreciate the hard work that you've put in. We, we appreciate the gifts and the abilities that God has given you. It turns us on to see how God has equipped you. See, those kinds of things are just expressions of kindness. Maybe it means that we just listen to people, listen to our spouse, that we care for people, that we lend a hand, <laughs> that we help. You know, I remember the time that we had 
four kids who needed to get ready on a Sunday morning. And it's interesting what goes on, you know. We're getting up, we're, we're, we're moving out, we're getting ready to go meet with God. And Sunday mornings can be the most interesting thing, you know. Especially for wives who have to get four kids ready along with herself on a Sunday morning. And there's different ways, you know, you could respond to your spouse. You could, you know, after you're ready and, and they're not ready, you could just say, hey, are you ready yet? I mean, I'd like to get there before my clothes go out of style. We could say that. But that wouldn't be very kind, would it? The kind response would be, hey, what can I do on a regular basis to help? So that we can go to church. See, it can, be, it can be very practical things like that. Let me ask you this question. How long has it been since you mugged somebody with kindness? How long has it been since you've done that? First thing we just wanted to see is we just unpack a couple elements is that love is kind. Second one is, is in verse 5. It says, love keeps no record of wrongs. If I were just going to flip that around for a moment, I would word it this way. Love forgives. Love forgives. I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 4 and verse 32. And I want everybody to go there. I want you to see this. By the way, if you don't know about Ephesians 4.32, you need to mark it in your Bible. Uh, Put a whole bunch of stars by it, underline it, maybe mark it in some of the blank pages in the back of your Bible. Here's some key verses I need to go to on a regular basis. Ephesians 4.32 is a verse... We all ought to visit on a regular basis. Notice what it says there. Be kind to one another. There we go, right? That's the whole idea of loving one another. Tenderhearted. And then notice what it says. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. That's what love does. Love forgives. Dale Burke puts it this way. I I just love the way that he words this. He says, what if this happened to you? Tomorrow morning, a guy knocks at your door and says, you don't know me, but here's a hundred dollar bill. Love ya. And you say, hey, love you too, bud, you know, just to be polite. And a guy walks off and you're thinking that was strange. Nice, but strange. And the next morning, there's another knock, you know, on the door, and he shows up, and he says, I know you don't really know me, but here's another hundred. And then you're thinking, you know, I could maybe get to like this guy. And he says, what if he did the same thing every day for five years every morning? He's showing up with that hundred dollar bill. Wouldn't that be great? Now he says, imagine after five years that that you get another knock at the door and there's this other guy there who kind of looks a little down on his luck. You know, he's pushing a cart and he says to you, could you spare 20 bucks? And you say back to him, well, you know what? (laughs) My bills are kind of high right now, a little little on the tight side. I'm sorry I can't help you. And we would go, no, you wouldn't respond. That would be a wrong way to respond. You should give the guy the money. I mean, why would you want to be so cheap after receiving $100 bills a day for years? And then he writes this. He says, is the gift of forgiveness really any different? Which day of your life does not God give you forgiveness if you know Christ? And then all of a sudden, someone wrongs you. They hurt you. As we often hurt God, and God says that 
Just as you received it from Him, we are to forgive another person. Don't, aren't you encouraged that God doesn't keep a score sheet on us? You know, I remember I went through an era in, in my spiritual experience where I thought that He did. I want to tell you something. You can't ever be happy when you know someone's got marks against you and they won't let go of them. And God lavishes on us. He lavishes on us His mercy. You remember what mercy is? Mercy is when you don't receive what you deserve to receive. See, what we deserve to receive was to have all the judgment of God just avalanche down on us. But He lavishes on us His mercy. And He lavishes on us His grace. Grace is when you receive what you don't deserve to receive. You know, when God comes along and says, you know what? I would like you to be a permanent, eternal heir in the family of God. And I'm going, moi? Me? I don't, I don't deserve that. And he goes, yeah, I know. That's just the grace that I have for you. See, that's what love does. Love extends mercy and grace. Love doesn't, isn't out looking to even the score somehow. Love is not going out trying to magnify and crucify our spouse for a mistake that they made or our child or someone else that we know relationally in the body of Christ. Gary Rosberg tells the story of Marge and Ben. After 23 years in his career, Ben was worn out. He was exhausted from trying to climb up the corporate ladder. And one morning, he happened to catch a television infomercial. Oh, those television infomercials. And it promised him all the luxuries of life if he would just attend an upcoming seminar in a local hotel. So Ben went to the seminar and he was promptly overwhelmed with the potential of the program as he watched the videos and studied the brochures. And he and Marge had always discussed in their marriage any expenditure over $100. But that day he caved into his greed and withdrew all their savings as well as cashed in their retirement fund to invest in this get-rich-quick enterprise. You know, it was something that had worked for many, many other people. Months later, his life was one huge mess. He'd quit his job, believing that if he devoted all of his time to this new venture, he would surely reap the rich rewards the videos and glossy brochures had promised. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. Found himself out of a job, their credit cards were maxed out, and Marge had to go back to work full-time for the first time since they had had children. And Marge was interacting with her pastor about all of this, and here's what he, he said to her. He said, Marge, you've come smack up against one of those in sickness and in health realities of marriage. But you are called to love Ben even if, because that's the kind of Christ love that Christ exhibits for us, agape love. It's love without limit. And with a strength and a commitment that Marge admitted came solely from God, she took her pastor's words to heart. And as the story goes on, Ben responded. He found a new job with a Christian employer and the nature of the work made him feel truly useful for the first time in many years. He and Marge downsized their home, sold their boat, and made serious inroads into paying off all of their creditors. Ben replaced his desire to get rich quick with a renewed vision and commitment to live and finish life well. 
When I asked him about what made the difference, he said, Christ and Marge. It's that simple. I've learned that God really does love me. Marge taught me that. She accepted even when I had messed up. And she showed me the kind of unconditional love and acceptance that I never knew existed. I really got caught up in my greed. Now the simple things make more sense. A walk with Marge, an evening at home, time with a few close friends, the Word of God each day, and an honest day's work. I am beginning to feel whole again. See, the message that he has for us, I believe, today is we need to step it up. We need to be dispensing mercy and grace to one another like he has with us. So the first aspect that we've looked at is just unpack a little bit is that love is kind. And secondly, love forgives. There's a third one I want us to look at. It's in verse 7. It says, love believes all things. If I were going to word it another way, it would be this. Love affirms. Love affirms. I don't know if you heard about Robert Rosenthal, who is an elementary school principal, but he did a little experiment. And what he did is he, he went to his teachers and told them that six students had tested extremely well in all of these achievement tests. They had high-level learning ability. But the truth was that he had just simply randomly chosen six students out. And at the end of the year, here's what happened. Those six students scored 15 to 27 IQ points higher than the other students. The teachers described them as happier students, more curious students, and more effective students than the other class members. What happened? Well, basically, here's what they believe happened, is that the teachers thought they were special, so they treated them as being special and challenged them as being special. You see, love affirms. Love says, I believe in you. Love says, you can do it. You know, when I was 15 years old, um, I had an emergency appendectomy done. And as happens to most of us, when you're 15 and you have an intersection with a surgeon, you've never really met the guy before, and that was true for me. But I want to tell you something happened that day when I interacted with that surgeon. I'll never forget it. was in his office, and, and, and he, he actually grabbed my hand and pulled it towards him. And here's what he said to me that day, 15-year-old. He said, you know what? You have the hands of a skilled surgeon. Now, what was he doing when he said that to me? He, I, we hadn't had any discussions. He didn't really know me. I never said anything like I wanted to be a doctor one day. But what he was really doing is to a 15-year-old boy is he was affirming me. He says, when I, when I look at you, I see potential, great potential. See, that's what love does. Love affirms. I've shared this before. I remember very, very definitely the very first message I ever gave. The first message I ever gave was that First Baptist Church in Asbury Park, New Jersey. And I was a college student who'd come back and I'd been growing a little bit and they, they asked me to speak to the youth group. And I'll tell you, it was the biggest messy, crummy sermon or message you've ever seen. I mean, I just sort of, blah, 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 you know, threw out about 89,000 pieces of information just, just blah, 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 all over the room like that. And, and, and I'll tell you, it was bad. But I, re, I can still remember the pastor in the back, you know, and, you know, he could have said to me, you know, that was the lousiest, stupidest thing I've ever heard anyone say. But you know what he did? He just stood back there and he just smiled. 
just affirming. You know, someday you might be able to do this. You know, I was reading this week about things you can learn from a dog. (laughs) There's a lot of things you can learn from a dog. Here's a couple of them. Like you can learn from a dog. When you're happy, dance around and wag your body. That's a good thing. You know, dogs can teach us how to do that. Here's another thing you learn from a dog. Eat with gusto and enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. Here's another thing you can learn from a dog. Never pass up the opportunity to go on a joy ride. It's a good thing to learn. Here's another thing, though, you can learn from a dog. When someone is having a bad day, be silent, stick close by, and nuzzle them gently. You know, I'm never going to forget the year of 1988 for our family. It was a memorable year. Jennifer was born in 1988. 1988, God provided, miraculously provided a house for us at an incredible, incredible deal. But also what happened in 1988 here at Wildwood is that we had an elder resign in an incredible huff. And, and he was very unhappy with the other elders, but he was mostly unhappy with me. And it, it was a it was a little bit of a, a, a life-shaking experience. And I, I will never forget that I was with my son Kyle, who's six years old. We were on a soccer field at a soccer practice at Lions Park, just south of Truman School. And Doug Bergman had heard what happened, and Doug Bergman had somehow tracked me down there at Lions Park by Truman School, and he stopped. I'll still remember him pulling up on the side of the street. And he wasn't there to say, you know, he didn't know any of the details. He didn't really want to know the details. It wasn't about who was right, who was wrong. But what he was really there to say is, Bruce, you know what? I, I believe in you. I believe in you as a leader. And that's what love does. Love affirms. Sometimes it means being there in difficult times. Sometimes it, it means listening. Sometimes it simply means saying, I see a lot of potential in you. Sometimes it's the words that we say. You know what God says? He says, be like me. Be like me. How do we live and please God in our Christian life? We do it by excelling in love. Now, I want to talk about some specific life response we can have as we move away from our time in the Word today. I'm going to suggest three things. This is important. Make sure you get this down. First thing we can do if we're going to excel in love is refresh our love quotient. Refresh our love quotient. I would encourage you this week in your time with the Lord to read Luke chapter 7, verses 40 to 47. It is the parable of the money lender. Read that. Let God work on your heart. Refresh your love quotient. You might want to memorize 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. But refresh your love quotient. We all need that from time to time. Second life response we can have would be simply this. Dispense, as you go through your week this week, dispense some grace and some mercy. Where would your spouse maybe need this week an extra dose of grace where they don't receive or they receive what they don't deserve to receive? Maybe where does your child or someone else that you know need an extra dose of mercy? where we don't respond in the way that they really deserve to have us respond. 
dispense some grace and mercy. And the third life response we can have is to initiate a connection. Reach out rather than retreating and waiting. We talk about the importance here at Wildwood of worshiping and serving and connecting. Reach out. Don't sit back and wait. Let's pray together. And then we'll close with a song. Father, we just thank you again for the living book that is able to take a little route into our heart and stir us up. And Lord, it's, 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 it's almost overwhelming me for me to think about what the primary trademark we are, is, are to have that is to convince people that we're followers of Jesus and what that really means for me, me personally, as I relate to other people in my immediate family and in my church family. We pray, Father, that you would just allow us as a body of believers to demonstrate that level of care for one another so that people might actually say, wow, look at how they love one another. We want Jesus to be the one who's honored by all of this. And so we pray these things in his name. Amen.